Do you love the pasty tapes? Do you want to keep this project sparkling? There's two ways you can show your support. Join the Pasty Tapes fan club and unlock special sneak peeks and fun goodies. You can also support by sponsoring a whole episode. To learn more about the Pasty Tapes fan club or sponsoring an episode, visit thepastytapes.com. Hello, ducklings! This is Blanche Debris, and you're listening to The Pasty Tapes, a burlesque podcast by Show My More, the steamiest Asian dumpling. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Pasty Tapes. I am your host, Show My More, the steamiest Asian dumpling. I am so excited to bring you today's episode. After I interviewed Ray Gunn, he asked if he could have a follow-up episode. And I mean, like, right after I hit the stop button. Like, I didn't even leave his apartment yet. And not, you know, not after his episode was published in the spring. This was, like, right after we were done talking. And I love it. It seemed very on point for Ray. I've told some of his friends that, and they've all laughed and were like, yep, that makes sense. But... I can listen to Ray Gunn talk forever. I think he's super insightful. And so today's episode is an offshoot on that initial request from Ray. I've been really into interviewing two people at once, like burlesque BFFs or dynamic duos. So when I recorded this conversation that you're going to hear right now, I recorded it back in April. Bazooka Joe happened to be home, and he jumped in on what was going to be Ray's part two episode. I'm so glad that I got to talk to both of them. They're both performers I very, very, very much admire. They're the kinds of performers that performers I admire, admire. Let's jump into it. This is my conversation with Ray Gunn and Bazooka Joe. Ray Gunn, Bazooka Joe, thank you so much for being on this episode of The Pasty Tapes. I love both of you. I think you both know that. I've heard so much about the two of you, like even before I started Burlesque. What I want to know, and what I'm sure a lot of our listeners know if they don't know already is, how did the two of you meet? Like, what's your origin story? We actually met back before we even, before burlesque was even a thing. We're, for us, before burlesque was a thing for us. Yeah, it was, it was a thing for us. Uh, you met in the, like, 1600s. Exactly. <laughs> we were both running dance companies at the time. I was I was running a company called Chicago Dance Crash, and Bazooka had his own company. Called Open House Dance. He had come to a Dance Crash rehearsal. He was there to look at the company because he was wanting to bring us in as a guest, uh, as guest artist for his show. But I didn't know, and I just thought that he was um, somebody coming to audition for the company. And uh, so he came in, and he was like, oh, very nice to meet you. And I'm like, you're late, let's go. And just kind of turned around and walked away. It wasn't until later when the uh, producing director was like, he isn't here to work for us. He wants us to be in a show that I knew that he wasn't there to. Yeah, I was there scouting to hire them. And he was all like, like get out, get out there. You're late. <laughs> what was your reaction to that first encounter? For the most part. And like, at least at that time, I was just like, whatever. Okay, like, great. Just sat down and started watching rehearsal. Like, I didn't think two things about it, right? I just took it as being, like, being very, you know, surface. And it was just like, the language was when to say, like, okay, come on in and, like, watch rehearsal. Because that's the frame of reference I was coming from. So it didn't phase me one way or the other. So how long did you two work together in, like, the dance pre-burlesque world? Ooh, that's a good question. I think maybe, let's see. At 
least four, maybe five years? Yeah, probably a good, yeah, I'd say probably like around four years. It was jump, you know, kind of jump forward, right? So like we met that one time and then we worked together and then we didn't see each other again for six months or a year. And then we were on the same project again. And then it just kept happening that we kept getting put on the same projects. You know, like after you meet somebody for the first time, then all of a sudden you see them everywhere. <laughs> like, yeah, it's like that kind of thing. Did you work together pretty well, you know, in the times that you did interact? What was your vibe on each other like to start in those first four years? This is a long time to vibe or not vibe. The, the time that we were on the same projects, we weren't necessarily like with each other, just sort of around each other, right? It's, his company was hired to do his thing and mine was mine. And then we just happened to be at the same events. Does that make sense? We weren't necessarily collaborating at that point yet. Kind of one of the first events that we were both a part of was uh, Hot Toddy had a show called Chicago Takes Off. I was I was there doing something in the show and then Bazooka was hired by one of the other choreographers and Jet was actually hired as one of the um, one of the dancers as well. That was actually the first time that the Johnnies were all we were all kind of together and that was kind of like pre-stage door johnny's with the three of us yeah we none of us knew each. well we knew each other but of each other we weren't like working together or just happened to be on the same event at the same time okay so then let's jump forward when did burlesque as a u2 and jet you know as the johnny's or however like this whatever happened first like what was that like when did that start it started ramping up but even before that because we started getting hired to do like backup dancing for drag queens, right? Like, it'd be like a big event, whatever, and they'd need like five male dancers just to learn something really quick, wear a skimpy costume and then go on stage and then you're done, whatever. And so we did that a bunch of times and actually, originally there was probably five or six of us, right? Remember that Josh guy and like- Oh yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah, there were like five yeah. or six of us that were all together who just kept getting hired to, do be backup dancers for a lot. And so then that's when we started knowing each other a little bit more. Well, Still it, no full-on burlesque existed in our world yet. Well, and it wasn't just that. Also, some of the stuff that we were doing was for um, Hot Toddy, who was just getting his start into burlesque and really kind of going for it. I think the very first show that we did for Toddy, Lola was there, Lola Martinet, and uh, Michelle Moore was there as well. And so that was kind of when we were first kind of brushing against the um, the burlesque world. And then, if you want to tell us about Toddy, but not the call, the back call. Oh yeah, so <laughs> the bat signal. Um, so Toddy kept going, and then he actually competed for King, and he won. And then when he came back, he kind of yeah, he kind of sent out a back call and was like, "Hey, I'm looking for guys. I'm going to start an all male burlesque group. Who wants to do this?" And we got a text and we were like, uh, okay. And so we showed up and it was the two of us and Jet who showed up. Yeah, we were the only three who answered, Yep. Uh, responded, and that was kind of it. That just happened from there. And we started rehearsing and he already had a gig booked for us. Yeah, he came in and he's like, okay guys, so I've, so I've got a weekly show for you at a club called Spin and I've got your first gig coming up in like a week and then a photo shoot for you. I'll choreograph your first acts and um, just start thinking about your what you want your names to be and go. 
And so that was kind of how we got started. Was that your first time, your debut or like in this show, right? Was that your first time doing burlesque? Obviously, like you all have danced and performed and all of that, but was this also your first burlesque experience? Yes, as far as the context of how we, what we consider burlesque and being striptease and very intentional striptease was that way. That was definitely our, our very first is what um, we were thrown on this. The stuff that we did with Toddy beforehand, it was kind of burlesque light. So my very first act, it was for Toddy and it was for a, a Mardi Gras show. It was at Sidetracks. He had this clear bathtub. The act was me doing choreography in and around this tub while guys poured champagne on me. So that was my very first burlesque act. Yeah, there were definitely things looking back that were like, oh, actually that was burlesque. We took clothes off. We did these more theatrical kind of sexy, nearly nude dances. But in our minds, that context of burlesque didn't exist yet, right? Like it, like it just hadn't been opened up to us. So to answer your question, yeah, the, the first time we did it was a week after we were told like, okay, you got a gig. We'll learn your act in a week, get a costume, develop a stage name, blah, 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 and go. So like, and that was it, it was crazy. And it wasn't good. No, they were terrible. <laughs> no? Really bad. It was it's very, so, very bad. It was so bad. Ugh. Okay, I can't imagine anything the two of you doing being bad. Like, oh, yeah. Oof. It was nice. Yeah. My mom and my sister were there, though. So that's good. <laughs> they just happened to be in town. And they were like, yeah, let's come to it. And they were like right up in the front row, which yeah. was crazy. What was their reaction? My mom well, only got upset because her camera ran out of batteries before he went on. <laughs> oh, that's so cute, though. It was at this little pub called the... Is it the, the Waterhouse. It's called the Waterhouse. It, it felt like it was like midday. And I don't think most of the patrons that were there really knew what was going on. We were super nervous. Frenchy Kiss and Fantastic were there. They were the first burlesque performers that we had really met. And now we know like you're kind of average where it's like it's a bar and then you're downstairs in the basement until it's time to go on. And so we were downstairs and we were like freaking out. And as we each did our acts, like, I mean, everything that could possibly go wrong did go wrong. Like his G-string got stuck in like the chandelier behind the stage. Uh, while I was performing, um, the, they had the garage door open and I could see like a bus of people going past as I was like pulling my pants down. And I just remember thinking to myself, okay, this is my life these days. <laughs> this, is, this is where I'm at. <laughs> Y'all gotta start somewhere. Even Ray and Bazooka were bad once in their yes. careers. <laughs> you two have grown and developed so much together, like in a parallel path-ish over the past lots of years, handfuls of years. Like what has that been like? Our, our kind of experience, and you can absolutely jump in if, if I'm misspeaking for you, has been very much like a helix, right? Like we're, we've been, we started at the same point and we're continually going along the same point. But our styles differ so vastly, like so vastly. But then every once in a while, they'll link up, right? When they cross paths and then something, hopefully people think is awesome, but you know, something that we think is awesome will happen. Uh, and then they kind of diverge again. And then, so there'll be times where if we're both traveling and performing, we might not actually, other than living together, we might not actually see each other on the same 
event for months and months and months. But then there'll be other times we only are hired to get like together or on the same project. And again, aside from like living together, we might not ever see each other for like, there would be a stretch of time, you know, between like the first half of last year. We were constantly at somewhere else. If I was in town, he was out of town, vice versa, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and then, you know, when we decided to start um, putting vertical together, that's when we like made a conscious decision. Okay, let's make sure that at least once or twice a year, we work on a project together so that our lives connect at that point, you know? And it, and, and it ends up working out pretty well. We don't get too sick of each other, right? Uh, there's friendly competition. It's only as much to keep pushing us, like to keep creating more. No animosity. I mean, we definitely get in arguments, but who doesn't? So like <laughs> In the early stages of us kind of figuring out who our personas were, what our niches were. Even very early on, we were kind of trying to figure out and kind of develop what that was. And is it, you know, is it, oh, am I the funny guy? Am I the sexy guy? Like the weird guy? Where are we? And so there was a lot of like trial and error in the beginning. I mean, it kind of helped that to have a show because we, we had that opportunity to try a lot of different things. Not everything works awesomely, but those were those were really important in the beginning of us kind of like figuring out who we are and they kind of helped us to know like who we are today as burlesque people. And having both come from like the concert dance world, we're very accustomed to checks and balances, right? Like being critiqued by each other. He'll let me know if something's not working. I'll let him know if something's not working. And we don't take that personally. Like it's just very much an artistic choice and decision and sort of analysis and critique. But because we both came from that background, if you've ever met anyone who grew up in a dance company, it's brutal. <laughs> I mean, it's nearly to the point of emotional abuse, basically. We still have a, like that element of checks and balance where we can sort of help each other edit and help each other create. And it's very much in that line of opposites of track. Because you've mentioned now a couple of times and about how our styles are so vastly different. But somehow, by way of that, they kind of actually connect and complement each other. So I don't know if that answered the questions that you were thinking of or... Yeah, that <laughs> entirely answered the question. It's like you knew what I was going for. And it's a perfect segue into all the other things that I want to ask you and that other people are, want to ask you. I learned of the two of you from Chandeliers. Chandeliers credits a lot of her skills to working with the two of you at the very beginning of her starting in burlesque and then being able to continually work with the two of you throughout her career. You both like headlined the Nashville Burlesque Festival, the first one. And then, you know, with Shan's influence, as soon as I started traveling and started, you know, going to Burley Cons and then obviously moving to Chicago, her thing was, okay, these are the two people, fuck everyone else. These are the two people in Chicago that I need you to meet and work with. Aww. And yeah, and that's like something I'm so grateful for that I've had the opportunity to meet and work with you. And I can tell by all this time that I've spent with you, like your influence on Shan and your influence on all these other great performers. And I'm just, I don't know, and now I'm rambling. So that's her note. So her question is, how do you two work on things together? Not like a duet, obviously, but on this critiquing note, right? In this like dance world that you're coming from, how do you guys manage your different styles in giving each other feedback? Like, what does that look like? When giving feedback, the feedback, it's coming from a neutral place. So it's not coming from, um, oh, this is Ray Gunn. It's sometimes like I have to take off my Ray Gunn hat and go on my, my teacher hat. It's coming from, okay, this is what I'm seeing that 
could or these are things that I'm seeing that aren't coming through? Yeah, we actually have very similar styles as far as critiquing and, and developing, not only in regards to us building our own acts and then asking for a critique, but then also when we work together. And that's even higher stakes because we're building an act together. It's, you know, 50% him and 50% me. So there's a lot of dynamics. And it doesn't come without contention, <laughs> right? I mean, when we say it's like, here's my thought, you know, here are my thoughts, take them or leave them. You can decide what you want to do with that information. So it's not without contention, but it is always with permission. And that's really, really important. Uh, and we actually kind of, developed a language of asking more questions than making statements. So things like, what if this happened? Or what if you did this? Or what do you think about this? Or imagine if this was a difference, you know, whatever. Always making sure there's a fair balance of positive and you know, negative as far as this worked really well. You might want to think about you know, changing this. So there's definitely a decorum and a protocol for giving each other that feedback and working with each other. You know, again, when it came down to us building an act together, the aesthetics, the costumes, the choreography, the concept, the music, all of those elements. It's it's great that we do it, but like sometimes it can be, sometimes it can be a little bit of a pain in the ass. He manages to like kind of throw little grenades in. We actually refer to the things that we teach in class and sometimes I forget that. And then he likes to like just drop in those little, oh, what about this? And it's like, oh, it's something I teach. Do you have any notable grenades that Bazooka has thrown at you? I have lots and lots of them. A lot, yeah. I've been kind of tweaking this act and I've been kind of going back and forth with music. I sat down one day and I was asking him what he thought of the music. And then before I knew it, like the questions that he was asking, I was like, wait, these are the questions that these are all from elements. These are, you're, you're basically throwing my class back at me. Okay, all right, I see. I see what you did there. Sometimes, like, <laughs> people will get so deep in their head about things and then start second-guessing themselves and forget what their purpose is and lose sight of the base concept. It's so easy to go down a rabbit hole and end up somewhere where you completely didn't mean to. And sometimes that's okay. Sometimes that's a good thing. But, like, other times it's just noise, right? This actually just happened just weeks ago. There was just a lot of noise. And just by way of his language about how he was talking about it, I could tell that it was fuzzy and unfocused. And I literally went through his own class back at him. And we got like halfway through before he realized he was like, oh shit, this is like, this is what exactly what I teach other people. Things get so cluttered sometimes. This is a, this is a Shan question. So continuing to talk about work, do you two love what you would say is your most popular act? Tell me about like, the most fulfilling burlesque that you've created? That is a really good question. Mm. I would have two that I would say I'm, I, I get the most comments on, uh, and I love them both dearly. One would be my very first debut solo, which was my steam heat act with all the towels. Uh, and then the second one that I would get the most comments on is would be my unicorn act, Honey Beast, that I have the ball staff with and the feather mohawk and the horn and stuff like that. Every once in a while when people request them, I'm like, okay, y'all, I do have other acts out there, you know? But yeah, I mean, even that being said, I would do them until the day I die. I love them both so much. Stand by them. I love the progression of where they started to where they are now. I like putting them away and then bringing them back out and reinventing it a little bit and finding different nuances and presenting them in front of different audiences. So yeah, I would say I, would, I love both of them, at least for my solos, for sure. The one that I get the most notice is the Jabberwocky. 
And yeah, I would have to say that I do love that act. I feel like that was the act that you really, that was when I felt like I was really artistically showing my voice. It's an act that it shows that burlesque can be more things. When I created that act, it was just my voice. There wasn't a lot of background noise. I didn't feel like I was trying to fit into something. And I also think that like, I really kind of took a chance with that one. When you talk to people and you're just like, you're like, oh, it's the Jabberwocky. And they're like, okay. You know, and usually people are like, oh, you mean like the dance group? And it's like, no, um, I'm talking about, you know, the Alice in Wonderland poem. And then they're like, wait, so you're doing an act about a poem? Yeah. But then when they see it, they're kind of blown away by just everything that it has in it. It was one of those acts that at the time, like everything just aligned perfectly. I think that that's the act that people talk about. And it's, yeah, it's definitely a favorite. Speaking of things aligning perfectly, this is a question that I love asking burlesque dynamic duos. So I'm going to ask you to tell me about a moment that you've witnessed of Bazooka that you're really proud of, like a, like, wow, this is superstar moment for Bazooka. And then um, Bazooka, tell me the same thing for Ray, like a moment you're really proud of that you witnessed about the other person. So actually there, there have been two that, that I've been really proud of. And the first um, and this also kind of, when we're talking about like favorite acts, this kind of also falls into it. Oh, actually, it was in 2013. It was the year that I was crowned. I had, we were given an opportunity to um, choreograph this big group act. The idea was is that it was inspired by Bob Fosse and um, Rich Man's Groove, which has three different sections. He, he was like, oh, wouldn't it be great if we could do something like this, but like our version of it. And then it was Bazooka's initial idea and he kind of like spearheaded it. It was one of those burlesque experiences that I've had that I'll never, I'll never forget because we were backstage right before the, um, before the act went on, I was standing next to Bazooka and I was like, look, you could see Dirty Martini going over choreography with Tila Von Toro, all these people, you know, all the big names like that had come together to create and make this vision happen. And it was Bazooka's initial idea. Yeah, because he's really good at herding cats. And that was seriously, and that was, that was a lot of wrangling of, <laughs> of some cats. Because, yeah, I couldn't have done it. Like, I couldn't have done it. Yeah, and we had to create rehearsal videos and send them out because it was all the all like mostly title holders, actually all title holders. Imogen Kelly from you know Australia, I'm like Dirty Martini and, yeah, and Foxy Tan and Phil Noir. And, and that's one of the things that I don't think that um, people know about that particular act is each of us recorded our sections, sent it to the performers that were in our section, and then we all didn't get together until Behoff. While we were there, like we were setting up rehearsals for each of the sections, getting everybody together to rehearse. And then, um, you know, so all of that was happening. The amount of like wrangling that had to have been done was, was pretty amazing. The time that I think I would be the most, oh, this is coincidental. I didn't think about this, would be the year that Ray won the title. Because not, I myself don't really care for competitions. It's not like, it's not a thing that's like really on my radar, but I love it when other people like really have that feeling and like want to, and then do accomplish it. But also at that time when guys were performing, there were very few guys in the community who performed with sort of unabashed masculine sex appeal, right? Usually we go for like funny or campy or like anti-sexy, going the opposite of being sexy. Guys still being kind of new to the scene, Ray comes on and 
does his uh, act Trust Me, which is, it is everything that's like quintessentially him. It's slinky, a decent amount of choreographed dance, a decent amount of acrobatics thrown in there, very polished clothing removals. Above all else, it was just sort of upfront, sexy and masculine. The audience's reaction, like I remember like right afterward, like it finished, it was like silence before an eruption and like people standing up and just like going crazy and crazy and crazy. I think that for me that like that was the moment I was like, oh shit, yes, this is him doing this thing. Like I am proud to be like associated with him at that time, you know? Uh, and it was a really cool display of, of um, just like the temperature of what was happening in the community too. So there was a lot of dynamics in play at that time. Given your place in like the burlesque universe, right? Like a lot of the times I feel like you two um, or Jet are like the first male performers people might see just by happenstance of where people, you know, are seeing burlesque for the first time, I think, or like bigger shows, right? You know, speaking of masculinity and burlesque, like, can you tell me about audiences, audience reactions, and how you handle that if people are surprised or like welcoming or not welcoming? Like what has that experience been like for you two over the years? That uh, <laughs> I would say like the, the um, reactions were kind of extreme. You know, you'd say, hey, I'm a, I'm a burlesque performer. And the idea was kind of strange to them. So then the idea of kind of being sexy wasn't that it was more um if it was if it was sexy there were always suggestions of like well if you you know if you did it in heels or you know like if you were wearing a little more makeup maybe you know uh, it, it would feel it just there was there was something about it that sometimes people were just like oh it just doesn't feel it just doesn't feel right i had a really tough time in the very beginning my my i guess my natural sexy i wanted to like the direction that i wanted to go in um, people were not really feeling it. They were always asking, it, it seemed like they always wanted it softened. I don't feel like that's the case now. I feel like the range of what you're seeing from male performers, I feel like there is much more of a range than there was prior. The conversation about male masculinity is actually kind of starting to, you're starting to see it more in burlesque. Yeah, and it's definitely changing wasn't. so fast. Like, yeah. the concept of masculinity and femininity changes daily now. Like, that has never really been the case up until very recently, where it's sort of on the forefront and it's being a little bit more accepted. To that point, to what Ray was exactly talking about over the course of our burlesque career, it, the reactions and acceptance, or acceptance of it has been very across the board like very very extreme some people love it immediately some people have to warm up to it i mean we still get audience members who will like turn their back and be like i don't want to see a fucking dude up there and oh blah, yeah blah, blah. and like yeah no like and in that my, my favorite in the beginning that we i mean we we don't get it anymore in the beginning you sometimes you would get an mc that would come out and they would be like okay so guys if, if it's if you if you want to go get a drink um now's the time to go you know, and it's like... Because this one's for the ladies. Yeah. Yeah. And regionally, it's different. Performing in the South, you know, where Shana's versus performing in New York. And, like, you know, it's just... It's been really unpredictable. Predictably unpredictable, actually, because, like, you, you know, like, there are certain times where, like, okay, I know I'm going to perform in, you know, Memphis or whatever yeah. like that. And you're like, 
let me take an act that's going to be an easier sell. So you start editing yourself and figuring out like what's going to work for different crowds. I think for a little while, one of our biggest challenges was as like masculine presenting strip teasers uh, within the burlesque community was actually other problematic males ruining it for us. There would be problematic males that would come in as performers once it started like snowballing and leave a bad taste in their mouths. So like we'll get to places and they're like, we had to fight for this venue to allow males to perform. Or we go backstage and like other female performers are like, are you supposed to be here? Yeah, da, 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 that's- da. Or they'll be very guarded about it. Mm -hmm. and... Yeah, and that's definitely something that has been a consistent is like back in the dressing room, times where people aren't aware that you're a performer and then you know, you're hit with, why are you back here? This happened recently. Um, here in Chicago where I was doing I was doing a gig and I'm aware of myself coming into a situation with performers or people that don't know me all the time. I, I try to stay I try to keep very quiet and coming into to the dressing room, it was myself and there was another performer that was there and she clearly had no idea who I was. And when I walked in, she was very uncomfortable with me being there. That's still very much a a part of it and I know that some of that is due to some of the kind of toxic masculinity that has kind of permeated this industry. Yeah in, in, in those cases because it's happened to both of us more times than we can count it would almost be better to walk backstage and be like hey like hey girl you know like flamboyantly gay or like showing more femininity because that would immediately bring down that like guard but like going in and just being sort of like masculine presenting it actually makes it more difficult in a way because there have been problems ahead of us and we recognize that you know we don't blame them we don't blame the people in the back backstage walking in behind someone who's kind of like you know what it, like what's the saying it takes one person to ruin it for everybody <laughs> how do you two handle that or like how do you address that besides obviously being very kind and lovely people all of the time <laughs> you know it's just it's always being aware I never make the assumption that people know who I am. I'm in a new place. You know, I make sure to address everyone. If coming into the dressing room, you know, like I don't come barging in, like I make sure that sort of announce myself and then, and then come in. I try to like at least say hello to everyone in the dressing room so that, you know, they're aware of me. Having a little bit of just kind of being able to laugh um, about some of it, you know, and just not, not taking it personally when someone is uncomfortable because everyone has their reasons and you know i don't know what's going on so i never assume that it's me and i just don't take it personally so, yeah that's really all you can do is just engage to the best of your abilities and show that there's no malintent mm -hmm. and it's up to them whether to accept it or decline it mm -hmm. right because there are some people that just you know they just won't they're just not interested yeah okay i have a follow-up question on masculinity in burlesque if that's okay yeah. as you know masculine presenting burlesque performers and as performers of color can you tell me more about like what you've learned about yourselves in this burlesque career that you've had <laughs> oh absolutely i think i've had the i've had uh, more issues discovering like my brand of appeal i won't even say my my brand of sexiness it's my brand of appeal because uh, I had a really hard time at the beginning, like trying to figure out, like, did I want to be funny? Did I want to be sexy? I, I, I don't naturally feel sexy 
you know, like, <laughs> I don't walk into a room and lose sex necessarily. Yeah, I totally get that. <laughs> <laughs> so like early on, I definitely went like, oh, you know, like I can win people over by being funny, right? Everyone loves the funny guy, right? So like, but that started to wear off uh, and just not feel right either. Over the course of the last 10 years, it was really figuring out, okay, what is my brand of masculinity and my style? And can that change from act to act? Yes, it absolutely can. And, and it should. It took me a long time. I mean, you'll get this answer from any person who's been performing for any length of time is imposter syndrome is crazy. <laughs> it's out of control. Imposter syndrome is out of control. And reminding yourself of your self-worth and your artistic worth and artistic value. Uh, I know that sounds super lovey-dovey, hippy-dippy kind of like, um, but, uh, but it's true. Like, I mean, you have to like accept that and figure out what works for you and what doesn't. And last part is just not being afraid to fail because you will fail at some point in time. You move on and you learn from it and whatever. And like, it's just not being afraid to like take that risk as far as my perspective goes. Hmm. I think it's just being like kind of un unapologetic about what my aesthetic is. I like the weird and I like the avant-garde going in those directions. And it's like, you know, I, I have no interest in doing an act to Tombstone Blues, you know, like it's a great song. It's, it's lovely, but that's just not me. And, you know, I'd rather do something to Ronnie's size. It's taken me a while to be okay with that as my aesthetic and not apologizing for it. Like, I think it's actually really important to find at least one counterpart who you trust completely to tell you what's up, right? I mean, it could be more, whatever, you know, but it's like finding at least one person who can openly and honestly communicate with you about your art and who understands your style and vision uh, and you, theirs, you know, and that you have a rapport that you can like very like analytically and honestly and genuinely help each other grow. I think that it helps if it's a person that you have more than just the working or professional relationship with, you know, somebody that you guys can sit down and call each other out and you're real, like you can be very honest with each other and then kind of take off all the, you know, take off the mask and what have you and then just be real people. I think that that's, I think that's important. Finding that person is, is it somebody that you can sit down as real people and not just as burlesquers or, you know, what have you. Yeah, I mean, and again, like, even thinking about, like, Fran and, uh, Fran and Shea. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to stick with that. Fran and Shea. So, like, that'll be their, like, celebrity name. I love it. It works. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> uh, and yeah, we'll, we'll stick with that. And then, you know, and Jeezy and Lola. They don't always agree, you know, like, it's, they get along great, you know, they're, they're, they're besties, whatever. They're not just guessing each other. It's not just like, yeah, that was great. Awesome. Yeah, you look pretty. Blah, 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 blah. There's that level of discourse that, that they have that really pushes each other to be a more evolved and sophisticated performer. And I think it's really important that, like, I wish everybody had that, right? Because it's, like, really important to, like, have that as far as, like, growth. otherwise you would stay stagnant. You would just, you would be right at the same path. Yeah, it wouldn't be helpful if my partner, person, my, my creative partner was always telling me, like, how perfect my act was and that it was great all the time, right? That's not, yeah. that's nice. That's not helpful. Exactly. 
You have to apply pressure to get a diamond, right? That's what you need is someone who can help you apply pressure. How much pressure is too much pressure though? Whoa. Oh my gosh. Ray, have you made, how many times have you made Bazooka cry? <laughs> I'm kind of a robot. Uh, today? No. <laughs> <laughs> we, we do get in really heated debates, but it's never a fight, right? It's mm -hmm. like, it's, it's always an artistic debate. Oh, like, sometimes it's a fight. Sometimes it's a fight. <laughs> well, well, yeah. I believe that. Like, I mean, we both come at things so so differently. I'm very pragmatic, mathematical. I need to have everything laid out. And he's very, like, more like the avant-garde, intuitional. I say throw it all on the wall and see what and sticks. And see what sticks. So whenever we create together, the phrase that we've used several times, I can build the house, but then he comes in and decorates it, right? Like, I build the structure, we, you know, we come up with the concept together, lay out who's doing what and when and where, and then he adds all the style and sort of flair to it. And that formula has worked out very, very well. And some of the acts that I've been, like, most proud of as our combined forces have come from that exact formula. And so... Um, Anytime we're like, we're, we're, we're sort of feeling lost or stuck or whatever, it's like, okay, let's, you focus on this thing and you focus on this thing and let's see where that, you know, where that takes us. Okay. So on that note, right, you two working together and all of that, like, how do you feel about that? Like, right, always being associated as a thing together, as a joint entity, as a dynamic duo. I think it's hilarious. Yeah. I mean, I think it's good. I'm going to get snoopy for like a hot second. Uh, yeah. But I mean, he's my best friend. So to be able to share a lot of the experiences and what have you and to create with your best friends, you know, you can't really ask for any more than that. I think it's awesome. The times where I want to, you know, choke the shit out of him. That's okay because it's, you know, I'm doing this with my best friend and, you know, we're, we're creating together and not everybody gets to do that. A lot of the experiences with travel, like I got to go, I got to go to Australia with my best friends. I got to meet Liza Minnelli and Alan Cummings with my best friend. Creating shows, all of the stuff with the Vertical Side Show, you know, all, being able to do Giselle, all of those things with somebody I trust and I know has my back. It's like a, you know, like a, for a common goal. Yeah, I think it's hilarious when people ask, like, hey, where's your other half? That totally cracks me up. There's, like, a very short list of people who I would consider being guests. Like, anytime, any place, travel. you got to pick your travel partners very, very wisely. Very wisely. <laughs> right. Yeah. That is hard. That's a hard thing. That's a, that is a delicate balance. In that category would also be, like, Jeezy and Lola, Midnight. Like, there are certain, there's a certain people who comprise that sort of, not, like, soulmate, soul group of people who you could really like share that with. And you know, it's, it's nice to, to have one here, so. That's so beautiful. I think that's a good note to end on. Oh my gosh, I love the two of you. I'll talk to you again later. Thanks for letting me take your night. Oh, oh yeah, nice. nice to yeah. see ya. Okay, bye. Okay, hi, hello, it's me again. Um, Bazooka and Ray are so wonderful. And dear listener, I am so, so, so sorry about that very abrupt ending. We started talking about other stuff like, I told them we were going to do our sign-off, and then, you know, we just got on a tangent and started talking about other things. I think we talked for, like, another half hour after that. But then we just straight up forgot to do, like, a proper sign-off. But I hope that's okay. I hope you can forgive us. I hope that you were able to learn more about these two super wonderful, super incredible figures in our industry. Thank you again for being a part of it, Bazooka and Ray. And thank you, dear listener, for listening to this episode of The Pasty Tapes. To find out more and to join the fan club so that you can unlock some sneak peeks and some fun things in your mailbox, 
visit thepastytapes.com. You can also follow The Pasty Tapes on Instagram at thepastytapes. I am still giving away free stickers, so find that Instagram post with the instructions on how to get your freebie. I am your host, Showmy More, the steamiest Asian dumpling, and you can find me across the internet at Showmy More. Thanks again, and I will talk to you soon. This episode of the Pacey Tapes is brought to you with the support from listeners like you. If you want to join the Pacey Tapes fan club, support this podcast, unlock some sneak peeks behind the scenes, and get some fun goodies in the mail, visit thepaceytapes.com to join the fan club now. So, so, so much love to Pacey Tapes fan club members Kyle H., the man with the hat, Violet Passion, and Teresa. Extra shout outs to Big Moody Judy, Amethyst Howell, Betty Beware, Aria Delanoche, CC Bombay, Fufu Kaboom, Faye Havoc, Kitty LaRoyal, Kinetic Kristen, Kitson Sass, Madame Ophelia Red, Rosalie Bloom, Tony Tabasco, and Frisky Business. Again, if you want to join the Pacey Tapes fan club, visit thepaceytapes.com.